Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. Uh, if you're new, my name's Brent. I'm one of the pastors here. And, um, you know, when I came in this morning, I debated about sharing something, and it kind of it hung on how I was feeling when I stood up here. If you go to church here, you kind of know my story. If you don't go to church here, and this is your first time, let me give you a little insight into Brent, okay? Um, those of you that go here, you know I have panic disorder, and it comes on when I don't want it to. Uh, it's a, something I've carried with me for a while, but last night, I just wanted to share, just so there's no surprises this morning, but last night I had quite a few panic attacks. Um, had a great evening hanging with friends, uh, shout out to Mark and Steph, um, hung out with some friends, went home and uh, went to bed and it was just hours of dealing with what I deal with. No, nothing brought it on, but because of that, I've had a lot of after, aftershocks this, this morning. Um, and with that, my, my clarity's not great, I just get dizzy, so if I'm in the middle of preaching and um, I have to take a moment to breathe or to pray, that's why. One of the things in 15 years of ministry I've often said is that, I, man, when you come to church, don't play church. You don't have to pre pretend, you can come as you are. And what I've found, if, if you have never been here, I've been on staff here for a year and a half, and one thing I've found is that this body of believers that love Jesus, they love people very well. So uh, as a church, as a pastor that struggles with what I struggle with, I just want to say thank you for allowing me to be me and loving me where I'm at. And um, if you walked in here today and you feel like you need to play a part to be part of this body, take it from one of the pastors. You don't have to play a part, okay? Just come as you are. Let people love you and surround you. So there's a commercial for our church this morning, but I also wanted to just, just, I, I don't want to pretend. Um, I've had a rough morning, I had a rough night, um, and I so, I, when I preach, I don't want to get through anything. So I, as I'm preaching today, I don't want to speed through it. I don't want to just get by. So if I need to take a breath, can you just bear with me? I love you guys. Ooh, you guys are going to make me cry. Um, thank, thank you for loving me. Um, so, as we begin this morning, I, I want you to think back on your life. I want you to think back to a time where you asked God to show up in a particular way. And maybe in a supernatural way, but in a way that you kind of call God out where you expect something from Him. Um, if you go on YouTube um, or on the internet, if you scroll on Instagram or whatever uh, social media you have, you'll see videos of like, the, and the people that take these videos, they're Christians, and maybe they're whale watching, and they pray to God, and they're like, oh God, could you send me a fish or a whale, and all of a sudden a whale breaches the water, and then the people are like, praise God, or um, maybe, have, have you, any of you ever prayed anything like that? Or maybe you've prayed, God, if you're real, would you show up in a certain way? I remember when I was a fifth and sixth grade pastor, one of my kids, and I think I've shared this in here, but if I don't remember if I did, you don't remember if I did, so that's awesome. Um, <laughs> one of my kids, uh, she came into church, and she's like, Brent, I don't believe God's real anymore, and I said, whoa, walk me through that, and she's like, well, I had a headache last night, and I asked God, God, if you're real, send my mom in. Um, to show me that you're real, and my mom didn't come in, and I was like, well, let's talk about that a little bit, 
but there are kind of those big prayers that we pray to see if God's going to show up. I remember when I was 18 years old, I was working at a summer camp called Seneca Hills Bible Camp in western Pennsylvania. I was 18 years old, and we had just gotten done with uh, our gender fires. So it was early 2000s, so we're still kind of having those heavy um, purity talks with kids, but in reality, we were just talking to them about their awkward changing bodies and how to wear deodorant, okay? And after, after, after that was done, um, we walked out of the woods, and Western PA is very cloudy. It's very cloudy, like 310 days out of the year, very, very little clear skies. And I remember where we were, we were in the woods, but there was this huge field in the middle of the, of the camp. And the campers had gone to bed, and me and eight other uh, counselors that were cleaning up uh, we walked out into the field, and literally, it was like God cut a hole out of the clouds. I, I've, I've never, I never saw a, a sky like that, and to this day, I've never seen a sky like that. It was like um, you could see the depth of space, and it was like God threw every star ever into this hole. And we, we sat down, uh, me and my, my counselor friends, and we just started talking about the vastness and the bigness of God. And we started praying, and we were just looking at the stars, and we, we spent like hours out there. And I remember I just said, God, you're so good. Could you just send us like a shooting star? And right when I said that, like a star, literally the, the expanse of the space just shot across the sky. And what was interesting in that moment, as we were talking about the bigness of God, I, I even had those doubts. I was like, God, was that really you? Which made me really question, like, where's my faith journey at? And it, it, was, it was a great opportunity for me to kind of sit back and, and see the bigness of God, but also reflect on where I was in my relationship with God. Was I throwing up this prayer uh, to a God that I believed in, that I had seen work in my life? Or was I just kind of praying and hoping? And yet God, being God, he showed up in an amazing way. And I think this morning is we're, we're going to look at a story that Joseph prays this prayer and God responds, and there's, up until this point, there had never been a day like this. And since that point that we're going to look at today in Joshua 10, there hasn't been a day since then that's been like this. God prayed a big prayer to a big God, and God responded. There was no God if you're real. God had, Joshua has seen God's character, and he prayed a big prayer knowing that God could answer it. So let's pray this morning, and then we're going to jump in to Joshua chapter 10. Lord, um, God, you're good. Your grace is sufficient. Your love is real. Oh, and Lord, I need you right now. You know, I always pray that nobody wants to hear from me. We come here for you, and... Um, Lord, that's what we're here for this morning. So, God, in your strength, I pray that you speak. God, when we walk out of here, help us to be different people than walked in. Lord, if there's people questioning here this morning, if there's people caught up in that prayer right now, God, if you're real, Lord, just make yourself known. Bring your truth, your reality, to us this morning, God, by the power of your Spirit. We love you, and all God's people said, amen. So we're going to, uh, I'm going to do this kind of how I preached a few weeks ago. We're going to read some, I'm going to summarize some, um, but we got 42 verses to get through today. Um, so just sit tight for the next two and a half hours, okay? Um, 
But verse 1 through 6, you can read a lot. You can read it if you want. I'm going to summarize it. So here's where we're at in the story. Um, so Joshua and the kingdom of Israel, they're kind of on a, they're, they're not fully on a winning streak right now. They're, their batting average is in between six and 700, okay? They started off their journey uh, conquering the mighty city of Jericho. And then because of sin, they get defeated by the kingdom of Ai, but then God all shows up and they defeat Ai once they deal with their sin. So what's going on in Israel is that people are starting to notice outside of Israel that the Israelites are no joke and that God is big and that God is with them and God is for them and God is fighting for them, okay? What happens next is Israel, we, we learned this last week, Israel makes a covenant with a kingdom called Gibeon, okay? Um, the Gibeonites, they see what Israel is capable of because of the power of God and in fear of not Israel, that, like Israel the people, but God, the God of Israel, they don't want to get wiped out, so they go make a covenant with Israel. Israel doesn't consult the Lord, okay? So they, they have now kind of have this, uh, this tag along um, that was never uh, conveyed by God, hey, go do this, but now it's part of their reality, okay? So now they kind of have a sidekick on this journey to, to conquer the promised land of Canaan, this, this land of promise that God said, hey, I want to give you this land. But what's going on is the rest of Canaan is taking notice, and they don't like that the Israelites are, are, are starting to, to conquer this land. So what's going on? There is a, a king of Jerusalem, and his, his name is Adonai Zedek, okay? He sees that God, what God is doing, and he fears that not only his kingdom of Jerusalem, but the rest of the kingdoms of Canaan are going to be thwarted by God, and, and the Israelites are going to take over the promised land. So what ends up happening, he gets four other kingdoms. There's Jerusalem, there's Hebron, there's Jarmuth. You can put up my map, please, the first map. There's Lachish and Eglon, okay? They all join forces together to go attack the Gibeonites, okay? What, what this is, though, is that more than likely this is an Amorite union. These five kingdoms is a union that would work together against invading forces, okay? So these five kingdoms, they see what God is doing, and they want to go to attack the Gibeonites, not Israel. But I want to touch on Adonai Zedek for a second, the king of Jerusalem. It, when you study God's word, like, Every time I preach, I'm just blown away at God's story. How over thousands of years, it's the same story about how, how God has this plan to rescue his people and to overcome the enemy. So just check this out for a second. Bear with me. This guy named Adonai Zedek, okay, king of Jerusalem, is going to oppose Israel, oppose God. His name means Lord of Righteousness. Okay, he's an interesting guy because he's an Old Testament picture of the New Testament Antichrist. And I'm not going to dive into this a ton, but just so you can see how all scripture is tied together and that God is the greatest author of all time. Okay, and if you go to the New Testament, there's various scriptures, okay, all th throughout the New Testament, not just in one book, um, that talks about the Antichrist, that he will rule over Jerusalem, he will lead a confederation of kings, he will resist God occupying land, and he, okay, and this sounds random, but it's not based on how the story goes. He will be, the Antichrist will be with other kings in caves. That happens in the story we're looking at today. And he will oppose Yeshua, who is Jesus, okay? Adonai Zedek, he's king of Jerusalem. He's leading a confederation of four other kings against uh, Gibeon and Israel, God's chosen people. He's opposing 
God entering the land of Canaan. He ends up hiding with four other kings in the cave, which we'll see later. And he opposes Yehoshua, which is the, old test, the older um, translation of Yeshua, which is Jesus. So these five things that, that is thousands of years before uh, other things are written, you can see God's story playing out. You can see the gospel message of good versus evil, of how God is going to conquer evil. All in this, these 42 verses, you see the gospel message play out. Okay, so this battle that we're going to look at today is a picture of God's kingdom versus the kingdom of darkness. Plain and simple. This is the, the way God's redemption story plays out that we... Thank God for scholars that are way smarter than me, that I can go read books and continue to learn this stuff. But if you want to do a deep dive into this, you'll be blown away as how, at, at how God just pieces all of these puzzles together um, to show his story about his heart to save his people. Okay, going back, Israel is now controlling the northern part of Canaan. And uh, for the southern kingdoms, losing the Gibeonites was a huge blow to them. Okay, they are strong, they are warriors, they are a big city. Um, so Gibeon, they're going to get attacked. So what they end up doing is they reach out to Joshua for help. Because there's a covenant there, all right? Um, the Gibeonites are servants to the Israelites. So servants reach out to the people that is in power of them. And the people in power are supposed to help the lesser of the two kingdoms, okay? This is super important because even though Gibeon is mighty, they reach out for help. They're not too proud. They didn't try to handle it themselves, okay? And because they were servants to Israel, it was the duty of the master, Israel, to protect the servant, okay? This is a great picture of us in our relationship with Jesus. We're servants to our God. He's our master. But how often when things go, when things go awry, we're facing battles, we're just like, I got it. I'm good. Take a note from the Gibeonites. Like, they reach out asking for help, okay? God wants to step in and fight for you and with you and beside you, but are you fighting your battles by yourself? Are you fighting your battles by yourself? And if you are, how's that going for you? You have the creator of the universe at disposal that wants to step in, that wants a relationship with you, that wants to fight, but yet we're like, no, I'm good. I got it. It doesn't make sense, okay? Moving on. Israel, they're hanging out at Gilgal, which is over here. I wish I had a laser pointer, but I don't. Gilgal's over there, all right? And Gilgal is a place where they, they, they hang out quite a bit. They always go back. It's a hub. It's a place of memorial. It's a place of obedience. It's a place of remembrance for Israel. It's where the repro reproach of their past in Egypt is removed after they cross the Jordan into the Promised Land. So verse 7 is we're going to pick up, Okay. Verse 7 says, So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and the mighty men of valor. So Joshua, they immediately get up from Gilgal when they get the call from the Gibeonites. Okay? What would have been easy for Joshua to do is what a lot of us do. He could have totally ghosted the Gibeonites. Okay, once he got that text message, he could have been like, oh yeah, we'll be right there. It's going to be awesome, and then just not show up. The Gibeonites get destroyed, and guess what? He's out of the covenant, all right? That embarrassing covenant that he made apart from God, they totally could have gotten out of. But yet, you see Joshua's heart. They made a covenant, and your word was your bond way back then, way more than it is now. So he obliges, and he goes to fight, okay? Um, verse 8, God steps in. God's command to Joshua says, do not fear them, 
for I have given them into your hands. Not a man shall stand before you. Okay, before we go any further, I have another side note. There's a lot of side notes today, so just try to bear with me because there's so much stuff I don't want you to miss in these, these 42 verses of who God is in our life and who he wants to be and how he wants to fight our battles. But this, the, the, the fact that this is God's response um, to Joshua shows his heart, his unconditional love. God's love for us is agape love, which means there's no strings attached. God loves us unconditionally. There's nothing you can do today that's going to make him love you less or more than he already does because his love for us is perfect, okay? I've said this when I've preached before, that in our relationships, we have a tendency when things go awry to get historical rather than hysterical. And when that happens is we tend to hold people in metaphorical prisons. We like to hold their past against them, and we like to adjust our relationship with them just to show, hey, we know you've done wrong to us, so you should be punished for it. God doesn't operate that way, okay? There was sin in the camp with I. Achan stole things. Uh, there was repentance. There, the, the punishment was there. And then also the covenant made with the Gibeonites, God was never consulted. God could have said based on sin, he's been like, you know what, guys? Israel was a good run, but I'm going to move on. No, he shows up time and time again. God doesn't hold anything you've done against you. Micah 7.19 tells us that God takes away all of our iniquities and casts all of our sins to the bottom of the sea. And Psalm 103.12 reminds us that God removes our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. Okay? Have you ever felt unworthy to be used by God because of your sin? Can I get a show of hands? Oh, like a third of you. Other ones, good for you. Way, way to go, gang. Okay? Okay. Yeah, we're just naughty. Have you ever felt unworthy? Okay? We have, to, we have to live in the reality of what God's Word says. Like, we either believe all of it, or you believe none of it. You can't pick and choose. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin because Jesus steps in between you and God and says, no, I, he's with me. So God sees and says, oh, you're the righteousness of Christ? Okay, I'm unworthy, but in, in, in Christ, I'm an heir to the throne. I'm righteous. God can use me because that's how he sees me. Have you ever felt like God is mad at you and wants to punish you in silence because of your sin? And you take yourself out of the battle, okay? But yet, we know that God will never forsake us, okay? We have to start allowing the, the reality of God's word to penetrate our hearts and dictate how we, how we approach everything, okay? Um, have you ever felt like God uh, doesn't want to use you at all? because of your sin. I know I've been there. So I, I legit want to give you a second, a, a second to think about this. How many times have you chosen to distance yourself from God because of sin in your life? And yet for some reason, we think that God is distancing himself from us. If you do that at all, then you're not living in the reality of what God's word says, which means you're keeping yourself from walking in the victory that God has for you. When you don't live in the reality of God's word, and walk in truth and victory, you will still try to earn or find victory rather than walk in it. God's already provided victory for us to walk in. What we do is walk in obedience. God's perfect love may be hard for you to fathom, 
or live in based on relationships you've had on the past or uh, personal relationships, maybe, maybe a father figure that it's hard to fathom a perfect God that has agape love, okay? It might not make sense to you, but once again, what God's word says is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on what? Your understanding. Brent, that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't have to make sense to you. Trust in what God says. Trust in what God says, even if it doesn't make sense. And in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will what? Okay, do you do it? Or are those just words? Are those just words that you, you, you hang in your kitchen? Are you allowing God's truth to penetrate your heart that you walk in the reality of what it says? Okay. Because God wants us to fight with him, we have to understand that we, when we are active in battle, there's going to be opposition. Okay, when, when God says, don't fear them, he means that there's going to be opposition. There's going to be somebody that you walk into, for I've given them into your hands. Okay, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be a battle. Anytime you, you fight with God or for God, it's not a cakewalk. Like, Scripture is clear that there's opposition, and we have to fight, but in that battle, we already have victory. So we have to trust in what God says. Not a man shall stand before you. When, not if, we walk in God's word, we have victory. We don't have to work for it. We have it already through Jesus. But too often, as a victorious Christian, we hang our head low in defeat because we lack belief, we have unrepentant sin, or we focus too much on our kingdom rather than on God's kingdom. Verses 9 through 12. Joshua came upon them suddenly, so there's a surprise attack. Having marched all night from Gilgal, okay, oh, we'll go back to the map in a second. The Lord threw them into panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Mekeda. And as, far, as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones that the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Okay, so immediately after God gives this supernatural encouragement— Okay, Joshua responds. They take about a 20-mile hike that goes up 3,300 feet through the night that takes about 10, 8 to 10 hours. Okay, so they get this pep. Think of it this way, all right? You get this pep talk, all right, knowing that the enemy you're about to fight is going to be delivered in your hands, but then you've got to go hike Camelback Mountain a bunch before you get to the battle, all right? I don't know how, after ascending 3,300 feet, that these men were ready to go. But they had a supernatural promise from a supernatural God that the enemy was going to be delivered in their hands. I, I hiked Camelback with my son Brooks um, a number of months ago, and I remember trying to psych him up the whole time. And I was like, man, I hope he can do it. I hadn't done Camelback in like six years, so I was, I was not prepared. So I'm hoping, I'm like, uh, giving Brooks a pep talk, and I'm afraid he's not going to make it. The whole way up, he's just bouncing off the rocks. And everybody we pass, they're like, oh, he's a little mountain goat. He's a little mountain goat. And I'm like a manatee, like gasping for air, <laughs> just dragging my body over rocks. And Brooks just kept saying, Dad, you good? Let's go, Dad. And I, I was wearing shocking linen capri pants. Um, 
you know how I do. And um, the, the whole leg just ripped, like ripped. And I'm just, I didn't even care. I'm just like, oh, just take me now, Lord. But regardless, like that's what I think of is that these guys, eight to 10 hours, 20 miles up 3,300 feet. And yet when they get to the battle, they just go for it. Joshua did what only he could do, and God did what only he could do. When God calls you to fight with him, he wants our initiative. He wants us to partner with him. So we do what we do, and we get to see what only he can do. Okay? We get to fight alongside our hero, our warrior, our commander, and our Lord. Verse 10 says, The Lord routed them before Israel. Was Joshua fighting? Absolutely. But who got the victory? God. God brings the victory. Okay? And just another reminder. Okay? Even though Joshua was fighting, it says the Lord routed them before Israel, reminding us that God is always the hero of our story. Even when we're fighting the battle alongside of him, it's always him that should get the glory, the fame, whatever it is. He's the hero. But how did God route the enemy? While Joshua was fighting on the ground, doing what only he could do, God sends an air attack. God sends an air attack of hailstones that are not a happy coincidence. That's how God was fighting for his people. And what's interesting is the Canaanites worship gods of nature. So these hailstones, they're thinking that their own gods are attacking them. If you look at the kill count, the hailstones did far more damage than Israel. Joshua didn't know that there was an airstrike coming, and I think that is so important that God didn't reveal his battle plan. God says to be brave, be strong, and I'm going to deliver them into your hands. If God said, hey, by the way, I'm going to send hailstones, as Joshua was fighting, he could have gotten easily discouraged. Because I don't know how long the battle was until the hailstones came, but if Joshua knows what God's going to do, he could have sat back on his heels and been like, okay, God, just bring, bring it when you bring it. But no, he fought. He fought and he trusted God. He could have easily said, if, if he would have known the battle plan, he would have said, God, why aren't you here yet? We're losing. His perspective could have changed. We need to trust God's timing. If God says it, he's going to bring it to fruition. We just sang, I'll take you at your word. But do we? Do we trust? It's the same thing as if, like, if, if, if there's a battle going on in, like, in war nowadays, and you know that there's going to be planes flying over with huge bombs, what would happen to those ground troops if they're just waiting for that airstrike and they're not fighting? They all get wiped out. Okay? We have to trust that God is going to do what only he can do when he's going to do it, and we got to do what only we can do, okay? We're going to skip ahead to 12 to 15, but I want to go back and talk about how God showed up, in a, showed up in a shooting star for me. Are you at that place in your life where you have seen God work and you pray big prayers? Or are you still at that place in your life where you're saying, God, if you're real, will you do this? And you're putting stipulations on God, okay? Because I keep going back to, is the Bible true? Is the Bible true to you? Or is there some part of unbelief that is keeping you from entering the battle or walking in victory? Okay, do you pray if or do you pray expecting? Okay, Joshua prays a big prayer because he knows his big God. This isn't a shot in the dark for him. This is confidence in the God that he knows and trusts and has seen work. 
that has proved himself time and time again. So 12 to 15, at that time Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, that's those five, those five kingdoms that came together, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. <laughs> so he literally prays, hey, sun, stand still. Let's just throw the whole world into a hot mess. He prays this huge prayer that literally the ball in the sky that gives us light and heat, that it would just stop. The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole, oh, I, I skipped ahead, okay? The sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Let, side note real quick, that book of Jashar is mentioned two times in the Bible. It's a lost manuscript that was rewritten in the 18th century, claiming to be, be the original translation, even though it isn't. So uh, there's also a book of Jashar that is completely 100% fiction. So what Joshua is saying basically about that book, he's like, listen, if you don't believe me that this event happened, it's actually documented in other things okay, as he was writing this, okay, just a side note from there. So, in the Hebrew language, Joseph's prayer was not necessarily sun stand still. What it would have been was sun stop working, okay? Once again, it's a huge prayer to pray, but it's to a huge God. But what I love about this is God exists out of space and time. He created the man that prayed the prayer, and he created the object that the created man asked the creator to stop, so God's in control of all of it. So it, is it a crazy prayer? Yes, but no. Joshua knew his God, prayed this massive prayer after seeing the miracle of the hailstones, and God does this crazy one-of-a-kind miracle for him. There was a boldness and an assurance to take this request to God because Joshua was with God in this battle. And God allowed Joshua to be with him in this battle. The size of your prayers can be an indicator of the size of your God. So how big is your God? It doesn't mean he's going to answer. It, it, he's not going to answer in the way you want it. Okay? I believe God answers all prayers, either a yes, no, or next. Okay? But I want to touch on the why behind this prayer because it's very important that we understand the heart of Joshua praying this prayer. He wanted the day to keep going so Israel could have complete victory. His enemies already started to retreat back to their homelands, and if they would have gotten back, they could have easily regrouped and attacked again. Also, if night would have come, it's an easy escape route as well to go back and regroup. So Joshua wanted the, this battle to be done. So he wanted to keep fighting. He didn't ask God to finish it. He asked God to intervene so Joshua could keep fighting. Okay, so what's the how? How did this happen? All right, I'm not a scientist, and I'm not the smartest man in the world. So um, I found a lot of things, um, and I, I have a camp that I sit with, um, but here's, here's some ideas of how this happened that have been throughout history. Um, one, this is poetry and didn't actually happen. Number two, there was an eclipse that lasted longer than normal. Number three, the sun and moon were out of place, causing a mirage, so it wasn't reality. 
Number four, the night was prolonged because it was too hot to fight in the day, so the sun stopped shining. So this actually didn't happen in the day. It happened in the night. And then the fifth, which this is what I believe, the earth's rotation slowed down for a certain period of time. Based on the text and the Hebrew verbiage, the most likely way that this occurred is that God supernaturally slowed down the earth's rotation so that instead of taking 24 hours, it took 36 to 48 hours to complete a full rotation. There's other cultures that have accounts of a long day as well, just like this story. Chinese culture, Egyptian culture, and Mexican culture, but their dates and times don't line up with when this event took place. What's interesting, though, is that there are reports of other cultures, specifically Egyptian, Chinese, and Hindu, that are actually missing a day on their calendar, okay? I read this, and I thought it was interesting enough to share. So this is about a Yale astronomer. A professor at Yale, Dr. Totten, suggested that an astronomer read the Bible starting at the beginning and going as far as necessary to see if the Bible could account for the missing time. When he came to the account of the long day of Joshua, the astronomer rechecked the figures and found that at the time of Joshua, there were only 23 hours and 20 minutes lost. His skepticism justified. He decided that the Bible is not the word of God because there was a mistake by 40 minutes. Professor Totten showed him that the Bible account does not say 24 hours, but rather about the space of a whole day. On reading farther, the astronomer found that God, through the prophet Isaiah and in answers to Hezekiah's prayer, promised to add 15 years to his life. That's in 2 Kings and Isaiah. To confirm this promise, the shadow of the sundial was turned back 10 degrees. 10 degrees on a sundial is 40 minutes on the face of a clock. When he found his day of missing time accounted for in the Bible, the astronomer bowed his head in worship of its author, saying, Lord, I believe. It's just amazing how God works. You can get caught up in all this stuff, but remember, we have finite minds that serve and worship an infinite creator. All of God's mysteries will be revealed to us in their presence, regardless of how it happened. This happened, and there's scientific proof that this actually happened, okay? I want to Step away from this for a second, and once again, a little side note, okay? There are times in our lives that we want time to stand still. Whether it's uh, you, have a, you have a student that just graduated, and they're going to college this year. Maybe it's a chunky baby you don't want to grow up because you love their roles, like my little six-month little girl. Maybe it's you noticing gray hairs or one of those crow's feet on your eyes, and you're just like, oh, I don't want to get older. I don't want to get wrinkly. Um, we want time to stand still. But Joshua's heart, praying that prayer, was 100% selfless and for the glory of God. It was so he could walk in obedience and take what God had, right, had given to him. It was victory. It was so God would be glorified in the fight and in the victory. He asked it so what God wanted to happen would come to fruition. And Joshua got to play an active role in that. And it was so that the people of God could be triumphant. Asking for the sun, sun to stand still was about God and his will, not Joshua and his will. If you could have more time, or with the time that you have left, what's it about? Is it about you? Is it about your will? Is it about what you want? Or is it about him? His desires for you. His victory that you can have in your life. James poses the question, in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, what is your life? And then he answers it by saying, you're a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. Is your time about you, or is it about your heavenly Father? 
in youth group, but I always take a sip of water and spit it in the front row like mist, but I won't do that to you guys today. Okay. <laughs> Continuing in the story in verses 16 through 21, in victory, these five kings that rally together to fight the Gibeonites and then Israel shows up, they run away like cowards and they hide in a cave. Joshua found out and he had large stones rolled in front of the cave and had those guarded. But then immediately, Joshua says, we need to go back and fight and finish this. And they pursued the enemy. Joshua wanted to finish the battle before he dealt with these kings. Okay, after the fighting ceased and the little enemy that was left ended up going back to their cities, the Israelites joined Joshua at the camp of Makeda. Joshua wasn't done. He ordered that the cave be opened and the five kings be brought to him. So the kings of Jerusalem... Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon were all brought to him. Then Joshua brought all of the fighting men and their chiefs to these five kings. 24 and 25, chapter 10 says this, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks, and Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. And then he hits them with Joshua chapter 1. He says, Be strong and courageous. Why does he say this? It's kind of a crazy picture. He has his men brutally stand on the neck of these five defeated kings. And what a revelation for these, these warriors that with God, not only are you winning battles, but you are standing on the necks of kings that rule kingdoms. That's what their God is capable of. That's what they're capable of, joining the battle with their God. What a cool picture. We see God give the victory. Okay. While we're not, on a physical, uh, we're not on a physical battlefield right now, squaring off against an enemy standing across from us, we have the enemy of sin and death. And God did what only he could do by conquering sin and death. Once again, this is a picture of the gospel. In Genesis 3.15, we see the victory of God's kingdom over the kingdom of darkness. The serpent's head will be crushed. And this is kind of imagery of that, standing on the necks of sin sinful kingdoms. You can see God's story playing out, okay? After Joshua says, be strong and courageous, he says, thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. They are then struck down to death and hung on five trees until evening when the sun was going down. The kings were taken off the trees and thrown into the cave and the stone was rolled over it. This is a very bold and different move by Joshua executing the, the, the kings. Often rulers' lives were spared, but this drew a line in the sand to have no affiliation with enemies, okay? Think of this in our lives in terms of our sin. God gives us victory over sin in our lives, but how often are we able to conquer it, but rather than cutting it off, killing it in its rightful place because of the cross, we allow it to remain. If you haven't, if you, if you think that you haven't put certain, put in certain, taking a breath, if you think that you haven't put certain sins to death through Christ, or if you think that you don't have battles that God wants you to actively fight in, let me ask you this. Have you declared war over every sin in your life? Have you conquered those sins? Have you taken the lives of those sins through the power of the cross and the victory that Jesus gives you? Often, we leave little remnants of it. We keep in relationship with it. We'll conquer it for a season, but then it comes back. Or are you unleashing an all-out attack on the sin that rules in your life? 
Are you allowing to sin? Are you keeping a relationship with it so we can come back in and destroy you? Whatever your sin is, we always cover the big ones, okay? What about gossip? What about lying? What about negativity? Are you fighting the wrong battles? Instead of fighting the true enemy, the devil, you fight people. Maybe you have unforgiveness in your heart. Whatever it is, are you okay being in relationship with the thing that wants to destroy you? Because when Joshua looked at these five kings, they wanted to end his life, but yet God said, here they are, I've given them into your hands. They put their feet on their neck, and then their lives are taken from them. That's what we have the ability to do through the power of the cross to the sin in our lives. But are you still in relationship with it, or is it cut out? Just like God had a promised land of freedom for Israel that they had to go into and fight alongside God to get rid of its enemies, God has freedom for us that he wants us to, to partake in this battle with him, okay? A lot of times, though, unlike Joshua responding immediately to a call to fight, we don't respond at all. We get comfortable with sin, or we, we, we grade our sin. Why don't, I don't do these ones, but these ones are okay. Today, declare war on your sin. You have the ability to walk in freedom through Jesus Christ, Walk in the truth of God and find victory. Do what you can do and allow God to do what only he can do. In fact, he already did that. He gave us Jesus. Jesus gave us, gave us his life and conquered death. So declare war on your sin. Don't be, don't be okay with it. Don't stay in relationship with it. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Yet Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life to the fullest. So why are... Why do we remain in relationship with one of those? God desires us to experience, live in, live from, and enjoy a life of victory. And that's through the cross, when sin and death were defeated. In this story, God fought for Israel. In our stories, God fights for us. God, God always gives us, the, the victory is always God's. But we get to walk in it and live from that place. So, as you have daily spiritual battles, do you feel like you're fighting alone? Or is God fighting for you? Are you fighting alongside God? Are you visualizing yourself being outnumbered, worn down, tired, and alone? Or are you visualizing you are strong and courageous, not being afraid? Because not only is God fighting for you and with you, but you know that in any moment he could send an aerial attack on your enemies. I'm not saying that he will, but he's capable of it. Okay? He can send hailstorms out of the sky. He can part the waters. He can stop waters 20 miles up. He can protect you not just from the fire, but he can protect you in the fire. He can make a donkey talk. He can have a guy set up shop and a giant fish. He can send a bear to take care of some rotten kids. He can ascend into the, these are all Bible stories, by the way. He can ascend into the sky. He can walk on water and he can handle being killed and buried. So why are you fighting apart from him? It's foolishness. It's foolishness. That's the God that fights for you and invited you into battle and gives you the victory. Moving on. Uh, will you pull up my second map to round out the southern kingdoms? Okay, Joshua and the Israelites, they go on and conquer more cities. They conquer Makeda, Libna, Lachish, Gezer, <laughs> Eglon, Hebron, Debir. All of these kingdoms met the same fate. The Israelites struck them with the edge of the sword, destroyed all the people in it, and hung the kings on a tree. Joshua 10, 42 says this. 
Joshua captured all these kings in their land at one, at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Joshua returned and all Israel with them to the camp at Gilgal. Over a short period of times, weeks or a short month, all of these cities were taken. It would have been nice if God, um, if Israel could have just had one big battle and it could have ended it all at once, okay? But God knew Israel. God knew what Israel was capable of and when and how they needed to act. That's why these battles were won at a time. God knows his warriors. God knows their fight sequence. God knows what they're capable of. God knows you. God tells us in Exodus 23:30 and Deuteronomy 7:22 that the enemies of the promised land would be driven out little by little. God knows which battles need to be fought and when they need to be fought. But do you act like the Israelites when they make that covenant with Gibeon? Do you just go without consulting the Lord? God knows all things outside of you, inside of you, for you, with you, in front of you, behind you. And for us to live any aspect of our life separate from that God is just straight foolishness. So if I could, if I could sum up this entire story, it's in the next to last sentence. It says, the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. But what you can do is put your name where it says Israel. I mean, for me today, how, how fitting that I had this ridiculous battle with panic disorder, but yet the Lord God of Brent fought for Brent. Fights for me all the time. I need to be strong and courageous. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. Why do I know that? Because that's what God's word says. Do you believe God's word is true? Do you believe that, when it, that, that God desires for us to fight alongside of him, that he's going to provide the victory? We just have to walk in obedience, walk in step, and trust him. Are you doing your part? Are you doing your part when it comes to these battles? Part of the biggest battle is, like we talked a little bit earlier, declaring war on the sin in your life, not being okay with it. Get everything out so that way you can live in that promised land that God has for us. The war is over, but the battle is going to continue to rage, and it is a battle worth fighting for every day so you can walk in victory. I'm more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. Do you believe that, though? Do you believe that because of Christ in your life, not a, you're not ju just a conqueror, you're more than a conqueror? This is what we have to wrestle with. If God's word says it's true, do we believe it? Do we take God at his word? Next week, we're going to wrap up this series. Chad's going to be um, wrapping it up, but you have homework this week, okay? If you've been struggling spending time in God's word, well, you get to read a lot this week. We're going to finish up, so I encourage you to read 11, chapters 11 through 24, okay? Yeah, I know. Ugh. <laughs> 11 through 24. You get to spend a lot of time with the Lord this week, okay? It's going to be more about the conquest of Canaan. But listen, every day has battles of its own. So often we don't even want to fight. We're tired, we're weary. But if we know our place in Christ, why wouldn't we battle? Why wouldn't we do the things that give us freedom from the things that weigh us down? But I'm serious. I'm so serious. Don't become comfortable with the sin in your life. God's promised land was a place where his people could flourish. We're not in heaven yet, but God wants you to flourish. God doesn't want you to just get by in your life. So whatever sin 
that maybe you're blind to, whatever it is, declare war on it today. Declare war on that sin. Don't be okay with it in your life because it's keeping you from what God has for you. And God is good. And not good in the way that we see it, but God good. Something far more than we can ever imagine. So you get to walk in victory today. Are you gonna but are you going to choose to believe God's word? I'm going to pray, then we're going to continue to worship. God, I've seen you fight so much for me. And I've had the privilege of fighting with you. And God, I don't do it right all the time. Sometimes it's because of unrepentant sin. Sometimes, God, it's because I'm focused on my kingdom and not yours. And Lord, I thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. But God, even then, that's something I struggle with, is living in the reality of your word. God, that you love me with no strings attached. You love me perfectly. You love me unconditionally. I don't have to do anything to earn your favor. I don't have to do anything to earn your love. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you continue to guide me into all of your truth. That I wouldn't lean on my understanding. Because God, there's a lot of things that you do that don't make sense to me. And I'm so grateful for that because it increases faith and trust. And Lord, I pray for everybody in here today. God, as David prays in Psalm 139, God, if there's any way offensive in them, God, lead them in the way everlasting. Remind them who they are. Remind them of your truth. Guide them into your truth, God. Convict us of our sin, Lord. And then do what only you can do, and that's guide us into your loving truth to remind us who we are in your eyes, Father. Lord, thank you for victory. Thank you for your promises. And Lord, I pray that you help us take you at your word, Father. God, the only attack plan the enemy has is lies. So God, guide us into your truth. Help us to not live in those lies whatsoever. Jesus, we thank you so much for victory. You're so good to us. We love you and it's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.